2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. This is our last live show before we have Christmas vacation. Woohoo! I just watched that movie. Love that movie. Uh, but we will be back January 15th with none other than the illustrious Colin Campbell, PhD of the China Study, billed by the New York Times as the The Grand Prix of Epidemiology. So uh, save up your questions for January 15th. If you're not able to listen live that day, then email or tweet me or Facebook me your questions for Dr. Campbell. And we will be sure that you can take advantage of this rare and wonderful opportunity to have your questions answered by none other than possibly the most respected nutritional researcher alive on this planet today. And speaking of people who are at the pinnacle of their professions, we have a visit in this front section of the Main Street Vegan Show today from somebody that I have admired for a long time. This is Allison Rivers Sampson. And Allison is the founder and head honcho of Allison's Gourmet. Now, Allison's gourmet is what I think of when I think of the holiday season, certainly not to mention great, fabulous baked goods all year round. But she is just a Christmas classic in the vegan world. And if you don't know her yet at Christmas time or any other time, please meet Allison River Sampson and Allison's Gourmet. Allison is the award winning chef and author whose culinary adventures took flight 17 years ago when she launched her online organic vegan bakery and confectionery boutique. And I have to thank you, Allison for so many people who love me today because I have sent them your cookies and brownies (laughs) and yummies. How are you?
3: I love that. I am doing fantastically well. I'm so glad to get to take out some time from our insane holiday season to get to talk with you. It's kind of an amazing thing that I can do that, but I'm really glad that I can.
2: Well, (laughs) me too. And I know you've got a little girl, and you've got dogs, and you've got a business. So I appreciate that you've taken this time to talk with us. And in your spare time, which I'm sure is really, really abundant, you have written the most adorable little e-cookbook. And I don't use little in a diminutive way. I use little meaning that this is a boutique project. This is not 5,000 recipes. But each recipe that's here is so perfect, and I want to make every single one of them. I've already made the mac and cheese. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, my, my, my kale side didn't come out when <laughs> I was reading this book. It's called Comfortably Yum, and it really is comfort food. Tell us about yeah. it.
3: Comfortably Yum is sort of my beginning foray into cookbook writing. It's been a bit of an intimidation for me, and people like you who just seem to sneeze out books are always so impressive to me. I just can't even believe. How many have you written? Seventeen? I can't Uh, remember. uh, Eleven
2: with number twelve coming. (laughs) Okay, well... I'm pregnant with number 12.
3: From the outside, it seems like it may as well be 57. So I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, I did this little book and... Yeah, it's a big process writing something, especially as the sometimes recovering perfectionist I am, (laughs) but Comfortably Yum is a collection of 10 recipes, and I kept it to 10 very intentionally. I wanted each recipe to be absolutely perfect. I wanted this book to feel very doable so that when people get this, they go, okay, I, I can start anywhere, and I can actually make every recipe in this book. I don't have to think, well, which one's the best or where do I begin? What I wanted to do is call for everybody what the recipes, the best recipes for now here, here's where you start. This is vegan comfort food that is perfect for omnivores. We feed this to mixed crowds all the time and people are stunned that it's vegan. And I tell them, you know, you might want to become a little current because vegan food has come a long way <laughs> since whatever you've had. Because this is what we make in our family. It's in our rotation on a monthly basis, all of these recipes. Well,
2: I think the people that think that vegan food is bad, they just don't know what vegan food is. They think it's something that they heard of before they were born and they didn't like it. But <laughs> yeah. just, People so tell us, have a lot of
3: preconceptions. It's, so, it's true.
2: What are some of your favorite recipes besides this? Oh, by the way, did I tell you? Extraordinary macaroni and cheese. My husband had never before been willing to eat macaroni and cheese not my vegan kind that I have been making as long as I've known him not his mother's cheesy kind back when he was a kid there was just something about it that he didn't like and he took one bite of this and had seconds so you've done something there what are some of the other recipes that are really fabulous and wonderful
3: fantastic I love hearing that go William (laughs) Um so I also have in there a really one of my really big hits is the clam-free chowder which mm. has a nori uh broth so that it gives it that oceany flavor and um I like to do everything with whole foods ingredients and so one might expect the clams to be Uh, made with seitan in this case. However, I made this with oyster mushrooms, which are perfect. Mm. They have a similar chewy texture to clams. I grew up in South Florida, and we had a lot of seafood as I was growing up. So there are two seafood recipes in this book. In addition to the clam-free chowder, um, there's also save the tuna melt. So there's that mac and cheese recipe. There's a variation of that where you can make meltable cheese slices, and you melt them on your toast and then put a a dollop of Save the Tuna salad on the top. Um, And then for dessert, (laughs) we have chocolate salted caramel pudding parfaits. (laughs) and so that is chocolate pudding nestled between two layers of salted caramel pudding mm. and they are it's made with coconut sugar so even people who don't do white sugar or need to have low glycemic sweeteners can use this can eat this mm. and it's a really simple recipe and very elegant looking
2: and and not all that difficult now, that's what I always look for. I, I don't want to be intimidated in the kitchen, and, and these recipes do not intimidate me. But I do like to say things like chocolate salted caramel and see if I can say that all in one sentence.
3: It's <laughs> I know. It was an interesting definite. challenge coming up with the name for that one. I was like, is that a mouthful? So, oh, it's yeah.
2: perfect. It's perfect. And the proceeds, some of the proceeds from the book are going to...
3: Animal Place, which is our local farmed animal sanctuary here near me in Grass Valley, California. And, and what's it called? It's called Animal Place. Uh-huh. Aha! Online, they're AnimalPlace.org. They are responsible for the huge Turlock uh, chicken rescue that happened earlier. I guess that was last year. Amazing! They they did a beautiful documentary called Turlock, and they are doing fantastic work. That was actually the second largest animal rescue in the history of the country. So pretty huge, and the first Mm -hmm. in California. They spearheaded that. So
2: beautiful. What a wonderful place and what a wonderful um, mission that you have and that Comfortably Yum has. So tell us quickly as we run off to the break, how do we get Comfortably Yum <laughs> for ourselves and to give as a gift this holiday season?
3: Yeah, you can come to my website, which is alisonsgourmet.com, two L's, and you can. there's a little link that says, new cookbook. You click on there and you can download it right away or we can send it to someone for you right away.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much, com. Comfortably yum. Thanks for all you're doing. Happy, happy holidays. Thank you
3: and joyous holidays to you too. Thanks
2: so much. And everybody stay with us through these important announcements, and we'll be back with two fascinating guests, legendary animal activist Karen Dawn, author of Thanking the Monkey, and uh, after that, a 12-year-old wunderkind. Stay with us.
0: If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you.
1: Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome back, everybody. It's my pleasure now to introduce my guest for this segment, Karen Dawn. Karen is an activist, and oh my gosh, she is in all the best meanings of that word. She's an author, she's been involved with animal rights since 1999. And this is how I know how powerful your work is, Karen. I was so surprised to see that. I thought you had been around forever. I thought you had been around since I started, which probably means for you since the womb, because the work that you've done just seems so much bigger than what could have been done in in 15 years. Um, That was when Karen founded the Animal Rights Media Watch, Dawn Watch. In 2008, HarperCollins published her first book, Thanking the Monkey, Rethinking the Way We Treat Animals, which has been described as a warm and friendly, which it is, introduction to animal rights issues. The book was highly acclaimed. It was included uh, by the Washington Post in their list of best books of the year. Year, and Karen continues to work in the animal rights media field, and may currently be best known for her annual Thanksgiving turkey rescue. So, welcome, Karen. And how was the turkey rescue this year?
4: It was. Um, it was wonderful having the girls here. I have to say, Victoria, I'm you know a little bit hungry trying to chat with you after hearing Allison on the on the radio there for a while. I'm I I'm trying to concentrate, and I'm thinking about. Uh, chocolate-covered
2: caramels. I know. Well, first you need clam-free chowder and then some mac and cheese and then you get your chocolate-covered caramel. Oh, we suffer. We suffer so.
4: <laughs> and I love that she's at um, a supporting Animal Place because that's where Jessica and Anne are headed to. Um, they were supposed to already be there, but we had a little bit of a an upset in plans and stuff, but they are going to be heading heading there eventually, um, but uh, they're just gorgeous, and as I, I talk to you now, they are strolling around in the front yard in front of me, and they're I'm in the front room on the phone with you, and they're rarely in this area, but... Basically, wherever I am is where they want to be, so they're usually right near the front door, trying to get in through the front door. you know, it's Southern California, so the front door is open, we just have a barricade up there, up there. so they're usually trying to get in the front door, but now that I'm further up in the house, they're strolling around outside the window there, so they just follow me around like a, a couple of lap dogs, really.
2: Uh, so these are two your two rescued turkeys from this year. Yes.
4: Yes, um, it became sort of an annual thing. I did this first in 2008 at Thanksgiving. And it was very much, um, I had I'd fallen in love with the first turkey I met, which was way back in the year 2000, um, at Poplar Spring Farm Animal Sanctuary, which is a gorgeous place, and I'd met this beautiful turkey named Olivia. And, and, you know, I had not gone to that farm sanctuary thinking that I was wildly interested in meeting the turkeys. I was really into the pigs. I'd seen Babe, and I thought, oh, I just <laughs> want to pet some pigs. And I remember when Terry, who um, owns Poplar Spring Animal Sanctuary, uh, led... Olivia, this turkey out, and she's just this this sweet, sweet little creature, and she um, she hobbled up to me, and Terry explained that she was hobbling because her toes had been cut off at this factory farm that she was living at. You know, they cut off their toes, they cut off their beaks so that they won't fight, rather than give them enough space so that they won't bite. And I started petting Olivia, and she just crawled into my lap as I started Uh to pet her. I was sitting cross-legged on the grass and I kept petting her, and she fell asleep, and <gasps> I fell in love, and um, so I had always had a thing for turkeys, and then um, that was, you know, I started adopting them online at Thanksgiving, as I think I, I hope a lot of people do, and then 2008 came along, and I was living in a, a lovely home in the Palisades, and my book had come out earlier in the year, so I was doing lots of sort of media and publicity around that, and I hadn't done anything it had nothing had happened in the LA Times, and I had a connection there from uh, Carla, a um, Carla Hola journalist had done a story on me and my pit bulls, and um, I called her and I said, "Hey, if I were to get a couple of turkeys here, I've always wanted to do this anyway over Thanksgiving, might that be a story?" And this is this is what I do, as I think you know, in the in the animal arts world, as I'm I'm kind of a media specialist, and I think what's going to make a good story. And she said, "Oh my gosh, I think our photo department would love it." And so that was uh, Bruce and Emily were the first two turkeys who came my way, and it was meant to be a one-time deal. But then come next Thanksgiving, all the neighborhood kids started asking, "Are you having turkeys again? Are you having turkeys again?" <laughs> and a friend talked me into doing it again, and now it's just become a every every year I do it, and the neighborhood loves it, and they always get great media, and that's a good good part of why I do it is because
2: yes. Yeah. Now, how again? does one rescue a turkey?
4: Well, it it depends. Um, There's the first, you know, the first year they, some other activists got them for me and then the second year I think, oh, that's right, they were supposed to get them for me and then everything fell through last minute and the LA Times were coming the next day. So I found out that you can just buy them from a, a slaughterhouse, so I did that that year. And then, but as the years went by, um, various other some activists heard that I wanted to do this. And one year I thought I couldn't do it. And so actually, somebody else just gets them for me. And I don't ask too many questions. Oh, um, sometimes it's better not come, to. Yes. I just know that they come from the slaughter industry in the Southern California area. And um, these girls, um, Anne and Jessica, who are named after Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain, two, oh. two other Asian beauties. Yes. Um these girls clearly came from some sort of organic farm because um, they're in really great shape and they still have their toes and they still have their beaks and they're pretty healthy. So I think at least the first few months of their life weren't the same sort of utter hell that ninety eight percent of you know turkeys go through, um though of course their destiny was was the same extremely unfortunate destiny as the others, but, well, not their ultimate destiny because they're here now and strolling around a yard in the Palisades. And that's after oh. having been bathed and blow-dried, and that's one of the reasons the media laps it up because, you know, we we send out um, press releases with photos of the bath and the blow-dry, and there's a YouTube video of that. So it's all Oh,
2: I love it. I just... That's, <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, they, they will so be... Hardly. Oh, they will be moving to... Animal Place, which was the same sanctuary that um, um, Allison was talking about in the first segment. Where is Animal Place and why do you guys like it so much? I'm here on the East Coast, so I'm not plugged into what you've got going on so much out there.
4: Right. It was such a coincidence that um, Allison was talking about Animal Place because it is one of the lesser known sanctuaries. You know, everybody knows Farm Sanctuary and they do wonderful work and and, uh, I think more people know Poplar Springs. Animal Place... Um, It's up in Grass Valley, in Vacaville and Grass Valley. They've got two locations not far from each other in Northern California. And I knew Kim Sterla, who founded Animal Place, um, from maybe eight years, nine years back when we worked on some legislation together. And she's just an amazing activist and a wonderful person. So I was always aware of Animal Place, but I hadn't been there. And then when turkey rescue uh, season rolled around and I found out that I could get these turkeys again. But, of course, before I can say, yes, I'll take them, I have to make sure that I can place them. Um, Our local sanctuaries were full, and I thought of Kim, and I thought I'd always wanted to visit there. So I called her up, and they said they were up for taking it. And I was just thrilled to be able to use that to get the word out about that wonderful sanctuary. Because, as I said, they're not as well-known as Farm Sanctuary, but they do great work. They did just do that
0: huge
4: chicken rescue. And um, they definitely need the support of the community. And what they also do is they do a lot of tours with uh, school kids. And I think that's such an incredibly important part of the whole sanctuary. Field, not just to rescue individual animals, but to use them as ambassadors. And of course, the, the turkeys who I rescue at Thanksgiving end up being amazing ambassadors because of, between the bath, the blow dry, the constant petting from all the kids in the neighborhood, they just become yes, they says like lap dogs, and oh. so they're the perfect um, ones to introduce to people because people just can't believe it when I meet them and the turkeys come running up saying, "Pet me, pet me." So
2: that's pretty <laughs> so wonderful. That's
4: and you're supporting. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear them. In the background, there you might hear some turkey sounds, and that's that's the "Where are you? Where's where's my pack?" sound that they're making.
2: Oh, oh. Now you are supporting Animal Place with a first giving page, mm-hmm. um, firstgiving dot com slash fundraiser slash Karen Dawn slash Turkey Rescue twenty thirteen. I know that's pretty long. I'll put it on Twitter. So you have oh, a first perfect. giving page for Animal Place, because they take your turkeys.
4: But a lot easier if people just go to your Twitter account and look for the link. I okay, yes. perfect. Well, thank you so much for giving them that plug.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of plugs, let's talk about Thanking the Monkey. I know that the ebook edition is coming out in the spring. I love this uh-huh. book. You know, so ah, often, even as long as I've been in, in animal rights Oh, when somebody says, oh, here, read this new book, it's all about the terrible things that happen to animals. I just want to go, let somebody else read it. But yours was not like that. You tell the truth, but you do it in such a way that it is incredibly readable. So tell us about one of my favorite
4: animal rights books of all time. You. The monkey. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. And, you know, that's the whole point. What's the point of putting out something that uh, says everything that you want to say, but nobody's going to read? There's just really yes. no point. So I do feel strongly that it's not um, a soft book in that, it's you know, it's easier to read than than many because there's lots of humor in there because there's between there's over forty bizarro cartoons and in the E edition there's gonna be sixty of them and you know, I think my writing style is conversational and we tried to, you know, put some jokes in and, you know, even had folks punch it up to make it funnier. But all the hard stuff's still in there. But um it's not it's not all there is. In fact, I think um my favorite review line was uh Elizabeth Castoria at Veg News Magazine ended her article about me and review of the book with um, the line. Uh, it said, Elizabeth Castoria got in touch with both her manic and depressive sides while reading The <laughs> Monkey <laughs> And I thought that summed it up beautifully, that it'll make you laugh out loud. But, you know, it'll make you cry as well. It'll do both. Mm-hmm. But it's um, a book that um, was really in designed as a gift book and that's why it's got the full color cartoons and it was very important to me when I was you know dealing with HarperCollins in the beginning that it wasn't full color that it looked really inviting because I wanted it to be something that activists could give members of their family and it would seem like a gift not like an assignment and um, I've had beautiful feedback from activists saying you know I think uh, my friend Tim um, told me he gave it to to my sister and he said, that's finally the thing that worked was your book, It Made Her Go Vegan. And one of the things Thinking in the Monkey Doesn't Do is say right up front, we want you to go vegan. Um, You know, in the first page, it's very inviting to people who eat meat and it makes it clear that anything you do is better than nothing. So it's not like you're not being asked right up uh, front to reinvent your whole life. But by the end of it, um, not everybody goes vegan after reading Thanking the Monkey, but um, certainly some people do. And others are just a lot more um, open to having, to doing vegan dishes for their family members at Thanksgiving. It, the whole idea is just to make, um, animal rights seem a lot more approachable and a lot more mainstream and to make um, us seem less vehement and uh, make it clear that we're not extremists, but that what happens to the animals is what's extreme.
2: Yes, and, and it does just what you have set out to do. It's the kind of book that you could literally set out on a coffee table, and somebody who has no interest in this issue could just leaf through, and even the cartoons... If, if somebody is not really wanting the real information, you get enough of those cartoons in your head and you start thinking about animals and and you've done such a beautiful job with both the solid information and the humor and entertainment, which makes sense because you are an entertainment expert. And it's just very exciting right now as we're talking in mid-December 2013 that SeaWorld is just losing almost all its performers. I think we're up to 70 bands and, and individual, uh, seven bands and individual performers at this point, who, thanks to the uh, CNN film Blackfish, are not going to be performing there. So, what's happening in the entertainment world for animals?
4: You know, Blackfish is one of the greatest gifts our movement has ever had. It's um, Gabrielle, the filmmaker, it's her gift to the world and you know, Thanking the Monkey I've got a, a big chapter on entertain, uh, animals and entertainment and certainly anybody who reads Thanking the Monkey will learn this true story behind SeaWorld but Again, you have to be willing to pick up "Thanking the Monkey," and what Gabriella did was make a film. And what's what we're talking about, which is eminently watchable. So you're not told that if you go see this film, you're going to be watching the torture of orcas for two hours. In fact, they even I noticed that they really sold it as a human interest story, John Brownchild, the trainer, who was killed by telecom. And in the animal rights world, we know that it also very much goes into what happens to orcas. And if you can't watch that film and come out of it thinking orcas belong at SeaWorld. But it was pitched as a human interest story and it's completely watchable. And as a result, not only did it get, you know, a wonderful play in the theaters, but CNN was willing to pick it up and, and put it on um, air, um, not because they were so desperately trying to help the animal rights cause. But because, well, yes, they are interested in sort of doing something helpful, but even more, they just knew it was a film that people would respond to and people would love. And I think in activism, that's something we always have to think about. And Blackfish just kind of, shows us how it's done. It's just wonderful. Mm. And then from the popularity of Blackfish and people knowing what's going on, um, we've got this wonderful situation that you just mentioned where SeaWorld's um, trying to put on a concert and had all these bands who were supposed to play it and the fans just started getting in touch with the bands and saying, hey, why are you playing SeaWorld? Please don't play SeaWorld. And one after another, they've started to cancel to the point where SeaWorld's actually taken the list of band names off their site. So I think they're still going to try and have some sort of concert but they can't do any sort of real promotion of it because every time a band is supposed to play there um, the fans get in touch and do petitions and ask them not to and the band's heart cancelled and I'm trying to remember all the different bands and all the different um, acts, Willie Nelson cancelled Yeah, Willie Nelson, that
2: was my favorite, Bare Naked Ladies cancelled and I think uh, oh Melissa? But
4: all of this all of this is because Without a doubt, because of Blackfish. And there's other yes. activists doing amazing things and what Rico Barry does for the um, the um, the Dolphins and the Orcas and Against Sea World is fantastic. But the tipping point, the uh, the breaking point was definitely Blackfish and that was just because of this wonderful, easily watchable movie. So Yes, yes. Exciting. What I think's also really exciting about it, Victoria, is I think um what's happening will be extrapolated. I think that people who see blackfish and realize um, something they've never thought about before, which is that life must be an absolute misery for these orcas who are kept in these tanks. I have a feeling that when they go to the zoo and they look at the elephants and they see them in a relatively small enclosure um, or they hear that activists are protesting the circus, I think something in their brains and heart is going to have been opened by Blackfish, so that they'll be much more open to our message um, regarding all animals in entertainment being kept in enclosures and being slept around the world and what what else you know. Mm. I
2: I so hope that that's true. I believe that the consciousness of humanity is awakening to this issue and amazing things are going to continue to happen. Just one last question, Karen. I know you're out there in L.A. You're in the middle of, of all the Entertainment world, what's your take on entertainment celebrities who go vegan and sometimes stay vegan and sometimes don't
4: more harm more I good think, oh i think I think more good definitely I mean, for example, beyonce and jay Z going vegan for through three weeks or whatever. Now, I can't imagine a million years Beyonce is going to stay vegan. She wore fur to Native Foods vegan restaurant, apparently. So, um, but does now when she does decide she's not going to be vegan, does it hurt the cause? Um, obviously, if she went vegan and stayed vegan, it'd be better. But Just the fact that they went vegan, the amount of coverage they got, the amount of media coverage they got, it's all part of veganism being, and I think for you and, for you and me, we've, you know, we've been in this movement for so long, the idea that it's clearly hip and trendy at the moment, um, amuses me and absolutely delights me. And I think, um, you know, celebrities at least trying it makes a huge difference. And there are celebs who've dabbled in it and then given it up. But um, while they're dabbling, it makes, you know, splashes across the world that they are dabbling in it. So that must might be something interesting and fun that people should try rather than something really weird and impossible that they shouldn't go near. So I yeah. think it changes the the face of veganism that's wonderful (laughs) i agree with you no i I think i
2: think it's absolutely right and the fact is even when people go back and they're no longer vegan we tend to notice that more than other people who just noticed oh so and so was vegan and they never really pick up on the and then she stopped at least that's how i see it because you know we're so plugged in we're just looking for it (laughs)
4: Right, right, right. been so going vegan makes much bigger news than them stopping it. I just also want to mention something, which is I am, I was vegetarian on and off for years. So before I finally, you know, really got into animal rights and made a really strong commitment that I couldn't even in a million years imagine giving up. But um, Once you've gone vegan, veg, whatever, for me it was vegetarian, and then I went back, I was far more likely to pick it up again than somebody who'd never tried it. So the fact that they go back doesn't mean they won't pick it up again.
2: What a beautiful, positive way to look at it for celebrities and for everybody else in our world and maybe even ourselves at this point. So uh, we'll be nice and easy and know that once this idea touches a person... It touches them everywhere. Karen, Don, bless your heart. The book is thanking the monkey. There is a first giving fundraiser page that Karen has set up for Animal Place. I will post that on my Twitter feed, Victoria underscore Moran. And I look forward to seeing you soon, Karen, on somebody's coast. All the best. <laughs>
4: so good to talk to you. And I love what you're doing with Main Street uh, Vegan and the radio show. It's just wonderful.
2: Thank you so much. All the best. And everybody else, stay with us. We're going to have a really cool kid coming up after this.
0: Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening.
1: Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And thanks so much for being part of our Main Street Vegan adventure this afternoon. Oh, my goodness. I always say I'm excited to introduce people. But I am super excited to bring on our, our next guest because he is doing things in the world At the age of 12, that a lot of people take, you know, into middle age to accomplish, Kevin Storm is a 12-year-old animal lover who's doing his part in a very special way. Kevin was born on Earth Day, and he has been saving the planet and the animals pretty much ever since. Kevin has his own terrestrial radio show in Pennsylvania, and it is my... Distinct pleasure to welcome Kevin Storm. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to hear it. So, Kevin, how did you get your show? Well, we were
5: driving down to uh, the Healthy Lifestyle Expo in Virginia, and on the way down, I believe on I 95, my mom saw the station manager's car, and it had an advertisement on the side for uh, airtime that they needed to fill. So my mom asked me if it would be fun, and I thought it would be. So uh, we wrote down the number, and we called when we got back from Virginia the following weekend, and we set up an appointment, and he said that it would be cool to have a kid on the radio. Um, And it's a very right-wing religious station. Um, So when we were trying to get the airtime, we weren't, he wasn't really aware of what the show was going to be about, but now that we've got the best ratings on the station, I don't think he minds.
2: <laughs> he probably doesn't mind a bit. So it's called The Kevin Storm Show, and what's it about?
5: Well, we have uh, famous authors, writers, writers. Uh, we've actually gotten a person from the Department of Defense to say that they would be willing to do the show um movie uh not movie stars. Uh we had Adele Bevan on the show. Uh we have other animal activists. We had Camille Marino on I think four times already. Um so and then we have uh religious people that can show um or uh read uh things from the Bible that actually support veganism, because that's a very controversial topic, because apparently, because it's against the Bible to eat meat. So when people say that they believe in God and all that, and they read the Bible, but they still eat meat, well, when we have a church person on, they're supporting how that's kind of, yeah, like hypocritical.
2: Yeah, so you're not afraid of controversy.
5: No.
2: Good for you. So, who don't you don't have to say a name, but just tell me the most difficult confrontation that you've ever had with, with a guest. When did it ever get just really hairy?
5: Well, that usually doesn't happen on the show where we have um, differences with people. Mostly because the guests that we have are on our side. Yeah so if we were to schedule and the way we do yeah, the way we do our um our the way we have our guests on is we've come up with a new challenge for if you want to go on the show and you're not vegan, you have to go vegan for I think thirty consecutive days and then I can have you on and part of the interview can be about your experience. So if we were to have someone on like that that went for the thirty days but then stopped Bringing up certain topics about when we have them on, that could bring up some controversial topics.
2: Yeah. Well, if Jay-Z and Beyonce add eight days onto their 22-day pledge, I guess they could be on your show. That would be incredible. (laughs) Would indeed. So uh, give us a little background, Kevin. You were vegan before you started the show, obviously. Have you been vegan all your life? Um.
5: There's a complicated way of answering that question. My mom raised me vegan, but since my mom and my dad aren't married, nor do they live in the same household, when I started going over there, since they have uh, joint custody, when I started going over there, um, I was being fed animal products. So that started this flip from back and forth between my mom raising me vegan and then my dad not raising me vegan, but last, yeah, it was last July in 2012 on the 4th that I decided that I was just going to stop completely and go totally vegan. So I've been mostly 100% vegan since then.
2: That's so cool. And, you know, sometimes adults will say, oh, well, you know, I'd like to do it, but it just seems so hard. And that's really inspiring that you're 12 and you live in two households, one of which is not vegan, and you just did it because you believed it was the right thing to do. That's very cool. Congratulations. It was
5: hard. It was hard. for. Oh, thank you. Um, It was hard for my dad at first because he didn't really know how to prepare many vegan meals. But now that um Gardein has been coming out with new products, and, um like chicken and the beefless tips, and now they've got sliders, it's been easier for him to make meals that don't take as long. He used to make um little uh, feet and nuggets, and that would take a couple hours, but now he can just, it, it's become a lot easier for him since I started. Yeah.
2: I think that's really important. I think the easy cookbooks, you know, like the four-ingredient vegan, they just really serve a purpose because not everybody, I mean, some people, they're so creative in the kitchen and they want to go in there and spend two hours. That is really a rare person as you look at the world. So that is very cool. And thanks to the Gardein people for doing those good things. One of the things I talk about in my book, Main Street Vegan, is that when you're going to raise a kid vegan, You've really got to think about the big picture because my my daughter had a similar situation. I raised her vegan. Now, her dad died, rest his soul. But when I married my current husband and my stepchildren eat conventionally, it was really like another culture coming in. And you don't think about that. You know, when you're all married and everybody's together and you've got this cute little baby and you're all going to be vegan But, you know, life down the road can bring stuff in, so that's very cool that you've been able to come through and not only be vegan, but be a vegan celebrity, truly, in this world. So uh, tell us, like, what you want to do with your show. What's your mission? What are you trying to accomplish?
5: Well, it's not even about becoming famous. That's just a plus. It's just to get the word out about animal cruelty. I mean... That, um, the lawsuit to get uh, chimpanzees' uh, rights and with Tommy the Chimp, we had yes. Neil Marino on last week, and the whole time we were talking about that. And it was a really informational topic. And for me, to be able to get the word out about something like that, because we've got 650 fans on Facebook, to be able to tell all of them that are listening, or all my YouTube subscribers, to be able to tell all of them about this situation is phenomenal.
2: It, it really is. And now, how do you go to school? You remind me a little bit of some of the stuff that I was doing at your age. Fortunately, I wasn't doing it so philanthropically, but I used to write for uh, teen magazines. I wrote about rock groups, and I met all the musicians who were popular at that time and wrote articles and had a very sort of... um glittery life on the weekends and then I would go back to school <laughs> and it was just another world. So how do you navigate having this radio show and being well-known and then going to school and being a kid?
5: Well, it's it's a transition, but once you get used to having... Well, when you have to schedule your own guests, like my mom was scheduling the guests before, but now uh, because of her job, she needs my help. So when you have to worry about the stress of classwork and then homework and projects, but you also have to worry about having to call people over and over again or different people multiple times to to schedule a guest. And then from that point on, you have to still make notes for the guests that you have on that week. It's a little stressful, but like I said, once you get used to it, it's, it's a lot easier. I mean, we've been doing it since March, and um, sometimes we're still unprepared.
2: Well, I think that's probably something that anybody of any age can say every now and then. And one thing that I know, both hosting this show, being a speaker, and all the things that I do, the worst thing is to be unprepared. I know that it's sometimes going to happen because nobody's perfect and it's just life, but that fabulous feeling that you have when you're really prepared, <laughs> you just can't beat it. So, Yeah,
5: I mean, there's times when I, I don't have show notes prepared and I really wanted this show to go well, and after the end of it, I'm telling my mom, wow, that was an okay interview, but I'm really ashamed of myself that I didn't get my notes ready. She says to me, "I don't know what you're talking about. That went perfectly."
2: Oh, that's so, great! Well, you can talk important. to people. That's a gift, just yeah. to be able to talk. That's so and, cool. Yeah, and
5: it's it's the uh, being boosted up by my mom, having all the help that she's given me. It's made it a lot easier because, like I said, I've got shows where I feel horrible at the end of it because I thought it went terribly, and she's telling me that it went great. <laughs> so you to hear that from my mom. It yeah. makes me feel yeah. a lot better at the end of a show like that. That it wasn't a total disaster.
2: Absolutely. Well God bless moms. They're just about the best. So how about yeah. do your friends at school all know that you do the show?
5: Yeah, most of them do. Um and what did you think about it? Well, I've got a couple of friends who ask me why I do it and I say not only is it fun just to meet to be able to talk to all these famous people and to have all these people hear me and listen to what I'm saying, but it's cool to be able to get the word out about veganism and possibly help some people yeah, I mean if I could get one message from a listener that says "I went vegan because of your show,
2: I would just it would boggle my mind <laughs> well, I'm sure it's happening, and they always say if you hear from one person, it means something like twenty five people. Actually, did it because most people don't let you know.
5: Right, we so started sh- this uh, postcard challenge because we've got fans all around the world. Um, so we're trying to see if we can get uh, the fans from foreign countries to or other states to send postcards from there. We actually when last the, uh, the national animal rights conference in DC this uh-huh. year. Yes, Uh, we met two fans from Brazil and it was during lunch and they walked over to us with smiles on their face and they explained to us that they're fans of the Kevin Storm show and that they were from Brazil. And I was so excited to know that these people are listening to my show in another continent.
2: (laughs) That's pretty cool, isn't it? So let me get it straight. So you're Terrestrial in your area in Pennsylvania, but you're also on the web for people around the world. Is that right?
5: Yes, it's uh, tunein.com. And we also just recently started our own website called thekevinstarmshow.com. When my mom has time to manage it, she tries to post the most recent show and then puts other on-site interviews on there. But it's still in the uh, works of yeah. getting
2: finished. Okay, but we can find you and uh, get in on the postcard campaign. So the, while we're talking about places to find you, okay, we've got thekevinstormshow.com. dot com. What's your YouTube page?
5: It's the Kevin. It's just the Kevin Storm Show on YouTube. So when you go into the search bar and you search the Kevin Storm Show, all the shows that are up will be available. Um, we've also, on
2: Twitter, it's at Kevin V. Storm, and Facebook. Wait, let's do Twitter again, because you were cutting out. It's at Kevin V. Storm, V like vegan. Yeah, V. Storm,
5: yeah. Okay, great.
2: That's Twitter, and and YouTube. I mean, Facebook. uh, YouTube is the Kevin Storm. Storm
5: show,
2: The Kevin Storm Show. Well, you are really getting it together because everybody says to have as much consistency in all your social networking and you're doing that and then to get your name out there and your name is all over everywhere. So you and your mom, you're you're rocking it. So what, Kevin, as the holidays are approaching, as Christmas is coming up, what would be your Christmas wish for the animals or for the world?
5: Well, I think just to have some people not eat meat on the holiday, just to have a vegan meal, calm some like a vegetable platter, something like that, something small. Because what I do at my dad's house, would um, they just make like a snack platter? So for just that, but no meat or anything like that, just to have something small, not to harm any animals, because. For so the people that don't celebrate Christmas, they call it Happy Holidays. Well, how is it happy if you're eating a dead animal?
2: Well, it's not happy for the animal, and probably not for your right. arteries either. So, right, that's that's a really good way to look at it. Do you have any companion animals?
5: I actually have. Let's see if I can count the ones that are in there. I'm in the kitchen with I had, uh, three cats, and there's <laughs> another three. We have six cats in all, and we're trying to find homes for a couple of them.
2: I Um, know how that goes. Yeah, we have a little foster cat that uh, my daughter found out on the street, all cold and skiddy and sick. So we have found a home for him. His name has changed about a dozen times. Now he's being called Beaker from Sesame Street because that's what his adoptive mom uh, has named him. So we'll have him until the 31st when he's off his medication, and can go live with his new mom and his new cat brother. But, yeah, it's a lot. When It seems like when you really love animals, they find you.
5: Mm. I'm actually having my foot eaten by my kitten, Nacho. He will not stop attacking it.
2: Uh-oh. Well, kittens are kitten-like. Yeah. Kevin, in our last two minutes what would you like people to know about you or what are you passionate about that you'd like to share with the listeners?
5: Well, um, leafleting, I've been doing that since I was four years old, and I found that that actually helps. We're we're good friends of uh, Mary and Bessie. We try to make it to as many of her uh, protests as possible. And I've actually been protesting at a circus and had people... After they took the literature, I've seen them walk towards the circus, and then I see them again walking away. And they still have the literature in their hand. And to see that makes me really think that we're doing good.
2: We are doing good. Kevin, bless your heart. You are just amazing and incredible. And I'm so happy you're in the world and doing what you're doing. So, everybody, please check out Kevin, the Kevin Storm Show.com. He's on Facebook, The Kevin Storm Show. He's on Twitter, Kevin V. Storm. I'm going to go follow you right now. If I don't already, maybe I already do. And I know I'm going to be on your show coming up pretty soon. That will be a real honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thanks for spending some time with us today here at Main Street Vegan. Yeah, uh, Thanks for having me on the show. All the best. And to everybody listening, oh my goodness, Merry, Merry Christmas and and Happy New Year and Happy Kwanzaa and Joyous Epiphany. And we will be back with T. Colin Campbell as our guest on Wednesday, January 15th in a brand new glorious year. In the meantime, God bless you richly, everyone, and eat those veggies.
1: Have you ever considered that everything you think and say is a prayer to the universe? Are you sending a positive or negative message? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you.
1: This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity.
0: Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Catrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Catrell ross the Coach's Coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life? committed to having more energy and being more vibrant join reverend temple hayes spiritual leader of first unity at unity campus in saint petersburg florida as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy love and joy you hold in your wildest imagining